Gracious God, we thank you so much that you are the most high God. And our time of worship is not placing you anywhere, but it is reminding ourselves of who you are and who we are, and that we are not self-made people, but we are just as our brother said, just from the dust, that life truly is a vapor. And so God, we pray that today we would see how life, how really life is fragile and it's really in the palm of your hand. And today we long to be able to hear a word from you. And so Father, I pray that you would not only be the speaker, but you would be the speaker's strength today, that you would do something in this room that people would have more clarity about who you are and that we'd be walking away thinking about you. And we'd want to be more in love with you and want to be with you more. And so, God, thank you for an opportunity to get more insight about you. I pray that we would have hearts ready to respond, ears to hear, a mind ready to receive. And only that can come from you. And so, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us and change us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time. Praise God for you. Um, I do want to, by way of announcement, help you to know that we do have uh, a men's time coming up here. Um, honey, can you give me some water real quick? We have a men's time coming up here on Saturday. <coughs> Excuse me. We have a men's time coming up here on Saturday um, at the David Dean House at 691 Fifth Avenue. Uh, that is in Brooklyn. So we pray that you get a chance to come out. Guys, it will be a good time. We'll watch a video that talks about manhood that helps us to describe and define what manhood is. Then we'll have a time where we get together, hang together. And so far too often, us as men, we talk a lot about being with each other, but we have to work hard to make that time an investment so we can get to know one another. I know so many men that are really desperate for fellowship. And so we wanna be able to invest that time in one another. We wanna be able to have really friends. So many of us really, when we're really honest, we really don't have as many friends as we say we do. So um, it really is a time for us to create that uh, time together. That's Saturday, 11 a.m. Saturday, 11 a.m. Well, we are in a series on greatness. And um, what we've been saying is that uh, many of you that are here in New York City, you're here because you want to be great at something. Uh, whether it's music or whether it's finances or whatever the industry is, you want to be great and you want to be better than what other people are doing. You want to be above average. And that's what greatness generally is about, being considered set apart, more effective than everyone else. And generally, um, people are considered great because of what they can do or what they have. But greatness by way of Jesus' definition, is much different. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 4, Jesus said, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was literally having a child there, and someone had asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus took a child and said, whoever has this lowly position is just like him. And what was amazing was that normally when a child gets among adults, we look for the child to say, hey, these adults, I want to be just like them. 
But Jesus takes a child and he says, everyone, all the adults, I need you to be like this child. What was it about the child? We don't know anything about that child personally, but what we know about children is what he says in the, in, in the text. He says that the lowly position, that the child, when he walks into a room of adults, they have the least amount of ego, the least amount of power. And so he's saying, set yourself like a child. Be smaller in the way that you see yourself, just like this child is forced to. And what we mentioned in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, is that this is not something we naturally do. And this is why the Bible commands in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourselves with sober judgment. And we said that we have this problem that almost like those carnival mirrors. You remember those mirrors that you walk up to and they stretch you out and they make you look taller and bigger than what you really are. And so you can be 5'2 and walk up to that mirror and be seven foot tall. And our biggest challenge is that we can have five foot two character, but have a seven foot ego. And what he's saying is don't think that you are someone that you're really not. And much of humility is having an accurate representation of who you are. And what he's saying is greatness is humility. And if you want to work to be great in your industry, praise God. But if you want to be known not just great in skill, but great in character. In other words, everybody knows people that are great at things, but do you know great people? The people that you want to be around, the people that you think, oh, they're beneficial in my life. To be a great person, the kind of work that you have to do is fight against the pride that you take on so easily, praise God. It's fighting against pride. Fighting against the pride that just so easily tangles us up. Humbling ourselves. And you know, even, even though a child is small, we all know kids that, as my parents would say, get too big for their britches. They think of themselves more than they ought to. And a child gets assistance from parents to help remind them who they are because the child is living out of proportion of reality. My family um, came to town last week, acting a fool. My sister was here, but my other sister was not. And I have another sister, and um, her name is Vicky. And Vicky and my mom were in a debate one time. I was really not that kid. I didn't really argue with my parents. Um, but she was, she was very bold. And so my sister was in a debate with my mom, and it was getting heated. And so my sister tells my mom, well, my mom, well, I'll just leave, like pulling out that trump card. Like, really, it's the only kid's card that they can play, because they ain't got nothing, so I'll, I'll take my presents from you. But I had never heard anybody do that. I thought, what a brilliant idea, <laughs> leaving. Dag, I never thought about that. So my sister pulls out her trump card. Well, I'll just leave. I was like, wow. To me, this is like showdown. What's going to happen? And my mother said the classic line that parents say, I will help you pack your bags. <laughs> Real talk. So they go upstairs. My sister goes upstairs. And, and my mom is packing my sister's bags. 
Now, mind you, I am going through an emotional, I'm an emotional train wreck at that time because I think my family's falling apart. So I'm like, Vicky's gone. You know, I'm going through, I'm going through it. My mom is upstairs packing my sister's bags. She helps her pack a little purple bag. I'll never forget it. She was like 12 years old, packs her bag. She walks out the house. My mom is extremely cordial. She's like, okay, then hope it works out for you closes the door I'm shocked I'm just like is this it this is the way it's going down I go into the den and my mom did what parents do she had that kind of like after conversation like huh, go tell me <laughs> go <laughs> shoot I'll leave what bye you know so she did that whole thing so she's she's over there like going through it talking to no one except herself you know so she's you know going through it and I'm like man Tag, what, two hours later, ding dong. I open up the door, it's Vicky. And I'm like, you're back. I'm so excited. Have you, do you know the story of the prodigal son where they throw a party and the son hugs them? This was not that. <laughs> My mom was like, get your, and I won't say the rest, get your tail in, da, da, da. She's going off on her and this is what my mother tells her. You found out. That life is not as easy. Where were you going to sleep tonight? You didn't know. Where were you going to eat? You didn't know. Where were you going to go? You didn't know. You know why? Because all those things were given to you and you didn't realize it. And because you didn't realize what was given to you, you had to learn. Because you didn't realize what was given to you, you had to learn. And so what we learned last week was humility is when I take an assessment of what other people are saying and I apply it and I respond. It's amazing, last week we said, why don't you go to people and ask them how they see pride in your life? Y'all do that? Some people like, yeah, some people like, some people, eyes shifting up in here. <laughs> kind of, I kind of did it, I, I talked to God. It's, it's, it takes courage, doesn't it, to go and like ask somebody what they think or how they think you're proud. Humble people respond to those things that which they feel like could be affecting their character or even the way that they're perceived. Proud people have to learn the hard way. Proud people have to be humiliated. And we all have a choice. We have a choice to live a life of humility, responding to those things that God may be clearly the same. Or we may just have to learn the hard way and be humiliated. In the text that we have today, we, are, we, we talked about last week breaking up with pride. Well, today we're going to talk about someone who did not break up with their pride. Someone who was warned didn't respond, and then they had to be humiliated. Hey, listen, I don't want this to be you, but it can be. I don't want this text to be you. I long for this not to be you, but I'm telling you right now, this can be you. And some of you might be in a season where you're being humiliated right now. But it's not because God hates you. It's because he loves you. Because he wants you to live in reality. Just like my mother wanted my sister to live in reality. 
God wants us to live in reality and to set him in his proper place. Excuse me, I think I drank too much coffee, praise God. All right, Uh, Daniel chapter 4 is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, This is a story in the Old Testament of humiliation, someone who has to learn the hard way, and it's the story of a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. The story takes place in 605 B.C. Interestingly enough, this is actually a story that's historical. So you'll find some stories in the Bible that are only in the Bible, but this is not one of those stories. This is actually a story that you could find in historical books other places, at least in terms of finding out who King Nebuchadnezzar is. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. In being the king of Babylon, he actually has taken over different kingdoms. Some of the kingdoms that he overtook were Judah and Jerusalem. These were all where the Hebrews and the Jews were. There were two kingdoms now, both a southern and a northern kingdom. Judah and Jerusalem were divided. And so he went, conquered those kingdoms, and he had conquered a bunch of other kingdoms. And in doing so, the interesting thing about King Nebuchadnezzar was he wasn't like our system is set up today, where... If the president wants to take over a different region, he'll just order it and the military will go do it. King Nebuchadnezzar would order things, but actually then get on the front lines. He was a man of military action. He did not just sit in the palace. He would fight those wars. Babylon, you have to understand, is it is the world power. And being the king of Babylon means that he is the leading, he is the leader of the world, essentially. And so in being the leader of the world and after taking Jerusalem and Judah, he ends up getting the best and the brightest amongst that community. And one of those young Hebrew boys was a young man named Daniel. Daniel had the ability to interpret dreams, we would find out. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream early on in the book of Daniel. As he has this dream early on, he comes to realize and says that Daniel's God is the God of gods. So he recognizes God for who he is. But if you track in the book, you'll find out that he at one point says God is the leader. He is the real king. But then he moves away from that thought. And he ends up wanting his own worship. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, this is 25 years later, now 580 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. So if you were to look in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, if you have it on your phone, if you have it in your Bible, or if you don't have either of those options, you can look up on the screen. Nebuchadnezzar says it this way. um, Nebuchadnezzar, it speaks of, says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. But I had a dream that made me afraid. In this dream, he sees a giant tree and a messenger calls out and says to cut it down to a stump. And the messenger could have been an angel. We're not really sure. But if you read the text, the fullness of it, it's this huge tree, bigger than every other tree. In verse 17, it says, The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that. And in verse 17, it says, The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth 
and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. So notice what it says in the text is that the kingdom had actually been given to him. And if the kingdom had been given to him, that means it can be taken as well. Verse 24, so now Daniel understands what he's saying and then interprets the dream for him. Verse 24, this is the interpretation. Your majesty, this is the decree the Most High has issued for my Lord King in verse 24. Verse 25, you. This is talking about you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Verse 25, seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with his roots, this is what it means. It means your kingdom will be restored to you. you there'll be a chance for you to get back into power. But it's only when you acknowledge, look at that, heaven rules. You're not really the king. You're a king. I'm the king. God is telling you, warning, warning. Oh, king, okay, this is the deal. I'm sorry, this is so awkward. You want me to tell you the dream? Okay, this is the tree, it's you. I know, it's crazy. You're the tree. And then, like, if there was an axe, that's God. And he's going to cut you down. And so this is what's really happening. God, I guess, has me here to warn you about yourself. And you need to respond to it. So, yeah, that's the interpretation. You're going to be cut down. All your power is going to be taken from you. The seven times is not clear in Hebrew, but the times really speaks to season. So it could be seven days, could be seven weeks, could be seven years. But what we do realize is that this brother has just been told you will go through a season of humiliation if you do not put God in his proper place in your life. God will cut you down. You're a king but you're not the king. And so later in the same text, Daniel encourages him. He actually gives detail to how he can repent. He tells him to start giving to the poor. So Daniel didn't just give him just like flowery imagery. He actually gave him a specific plan to turn from his sin. And what happens? What happened? The dream becomes a reality. Let me just take a commercial break right now. Some of you have been warned by people about things that you are doing or have done. And part of our own arrogance, isn't it funny how we can see arrogance in other people but can't see it in ourselves? Like they, they, they just don't listen to people. All the while we don't listen to people. Aren't we very good at that kind of stuff? And part of it is because we need other people to help interpret us. 
And we're so good at interpreting other people's problems that we don't realize that we, in some ways, are a mystery to ourselves. That this is why God has placed you in community, for you to have. And so there is a Daniel coming your way one day. And it may not come because of a dream. It may be from God's holy word, and he's just repeating what God has said to you. King Nebuchadnezzar does not respond to this dream, does not respond to the interpretation of the dream, does not repent, he does not give to the poor. And so in verse 29, 12 months later, isn't that good news? Look how much time he gave him, a year. Dad, that's a, that's a long time. In a year, a long, 12 months? That's a long time. It could have happened, it could have happened like, okay, do it. And he goes, nah, boom. And he could have just, you know, everything could have happened right then. But God gave him grace by giving him time. I think I'm going to need some more water. I'm struggling up here. I just drank too much coffee. Thank you. So he gives him time. Look, verse 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof, would you guys just for a second, could you just let your, your creative juices just for a second, just imagine this. Don't close your eyes. Just imagine it or close your eyes if you need to. But imagine this. The king is walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now notice, remember I said he's conquered all these other kingdoms, particularly other kingdoms in the surrounding region. So he's walking on the roof and he's kind of looking at everything he's accomplished. And he's saying, look at all that I've, I've done. Look at all that I've put together. All the kingdoms that I took down. I remember that one time that one king tried to step up, killed him. Man, I killed so many kings in my day. I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad boy. I kill people. He said, verse 30, is not this the great Babylon? Look at the personal pronouns. I have built it. As the royal residence by what? My mighty power. And then he says, and for the glory of my majesty. Oh, look at all that I have. It's come from me building. Look, I built it by my power for my majesty. <laughs> all that work I put in. And I did it because I'm so strong. And because I'm self-made, I really should get all the glory. All that work I have put in. One author um, said that when we have spiritual pride, in many ways he calls it a cosmic plagiarism. What he's saying is that when we, whenever you take credit for something that, that is not yours, the author will always feel awkward because you're really using what's theirs. And like any author, they, if they don't see their name in the footnotes, they'll have to put it on blast. This is really, someone's taking credit for what I've done what I've really, the work that I actually put in. And so in verse 31, it says, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. It's up on the roof, looking at the kingdoms, looking at all the stuff I built, and then a voice. And the voice says this, 
This is what I've, I guess that's how God, is that how God, this, this is what God has decreed. King Nebuchadnezzar calls him by name, says his very name, King Nebuchadnezzar, listen up. Your royal authority has been taken from you because I gave it to you. So I'm going to take it back. And I'm sure he would, I mean, can you imagine this moment? I didn't know my authority was on loan. I thought this was what I built. I didn't know this was a gift. I thought this was all a product of my work. Oh no, 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 king. This is gonna be taken from you. Verse 32, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox. Verse 32, seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and he ate grass like the ox. His body, verse 33 says, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And what we learn is that he was kept in the public courtyard. In other words, he was kept away from people because all the people in his court were ashamed of him. They're like the king that we used to be able to see. Now we've got to hide because the king has gone crazy, y'all. He's insane. You know, they actually have a, uh, a term for what he was going through. It's called boanthropy. I think we have the definition up there. It's a person in a delusional state that believes himself or herself to be an ox or a cow and attempts to live and behave accordingly. And we know that because of Wikipedia, and that is the source of all truth. Um, but, but God warned him. God warned him. And then God did exactly what he warned. And now... The greatest king, the person with the most influence in the world, who lived in palaces and could tell people at any point what to do, how, how to do it, whenever he wanted, now is living like an animal. Insane. The very senses that God had given him to have militaristic power, God took for him, so much so that he can't even understand how to live like a human anymore. God gave him power and took it away. God humiliated him. Aren't there certain people you like seeing humiliated? No, seriously, like aren't there people like if somebody's a bully, like you know, and they think they're tough, you know, they're going around and then they get knocked out. I know we're saved. I know we're saved. But there's a part of us that's just like, that, you know what I'm saying? That's what you get. You shouldn't have been doing it. Right? There's a part of us that we rally around when we see people get things taken from them because they misused it. But how much are we keeping in the framework of our lives that God is the most high God and that all influence that I've been given is from him and I'm really stewarding what he gave me and I can never become so proud that I don't listen to people and think I'm all that because what I have really is from someone else. I'm actually just managing what I've been given. But look what happens. Look what happens. Verse 34. 
Once his season of humiliation was done, verse 34, it says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then this is what I did. I praised the Most High. I praised him. Verse 34, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion, this is what I've come to realize after I got humiliated. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. <clears throat> he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. We didn't get a chance to put the verse up there. <clears throat> but James 4 and 6 says this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. God sets his face against those who are proud. And your pride is not just hurting your relationship with people. It is hurting your relationship with God. And God is setting his face against some of the things that we are doing. And in many ways, we are in seasons of humility or humiliation because we are not recognizing God as God. Maybe we're not responding to his word and not responding to what others are reminding us of. Well, you would think <clears throat> in this moment that everyone around would say, man, God, you, we don't play with him. We need to keep him in his proper place. But only a few years later, something else happens. I know we have a, a lot of text here, but sometimes we just have to let God's word do what it does. Amen. That we don't need a lot of interpretation. The text speaks for itself. It's crazy. 40 years later, Nebuchadnezzar has a grandson. His grandson's name is Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is now what we would call a co-regent. His, his dad actually rules with him. So his dad's name is Nabonidus. Right, so you have Nabonidus and you have Belshazzar ruling together. Now, it's interesting. If you were to read this on your own in Daniel, you'd notice that it says they're both his sons. But in reality, there's no real Hebrew word for son. So the grandson is actually Belshazzar and the son is Nabonidus. <clears throat> this is a crazy moment because Belshazzar is actually throwing a party. And he's throwing a party because his dad is out fighting the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire was, he had this guy named Cyrus, and he was this great leader, great conqueror. But because they had won all of their battles, because ever since Nebuchadnezzar and now Belshazzar, they've won all their battles, he starts throwing a victory celebration. While they're having a victory celebration, his dad, Nabonidus, is out and loses to the Persian army. 
So all the while he's having a victory celebration, his daddy's out there losing. While they lose, the, the Persian army begins to surround the Babylonian empire. So they're having a party not knowing they have not only been conquered, but they're about to attack and go underneath their wall. <clears throat> this is all happening. This is real life stuff that actually happened. In the middle of all this, it's this crazy moment. What would happen is when they would conquer a kingdom, they would take their idol and they would celebrate with their idol in front of them. So imagine this party, and if they had taken Greece, they would have the Greek god, and they had taken Persia, they would have taken the Persian god. Well, the Babylonian god was Marduk, and he was the god that they worshipped. And so they have Marduk there, all of these gods, and because the Jews don't really have an idol, what they did was they took, they took goblets from Solomon's temple, and they have it there inside of their party. So just imagine the scene. They've got all these idols there, and then they've got Marduk there, and they're worshiping, and they're celebrating. They say, look, we won again. We always win. We don't lose. My dad always won. But not knowing his father had just been defeated, and not remembering the humiliation that his grandfather went through, and now Belshazzar, in the middle of all this, a finger, a, a finger begins to etch something on the wall, the plaster, in the place they're having a party. A finger comes down and begins to etch words, but no one could read them. And so what he says is, listen, Belshazzar says, I'll give money, I'll give, I'll give trinkets, I'll give something to anybody that can interpret the words that are going on this wall. It says, it says his knees started knocking together and he started to have fear. He wanted to know desperately, what are these words that are happening? Well, then his wife, the queen, says, you know who we need to get? Daniel. You remember Daniel? Remember you interpreted the dream for your dad? Remember you had interpreted other dreams? Why don't we go get him? And so Daniel, now in his 70s, comes and he begins to speak. In chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Then Daniel answered the king. He says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Verse 20, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Verse 21, you see, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, you haven't humbled yourself, and you knew all this. You knew better. And instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, you drank from the temple of God. And you praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear and understand. In other words, you've been praising all these other things. But verse 23, but you didn't honor God 
who holds in, in his hand your life. You, you didn't praise God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent his hand that wrote this inscription. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, teko, parsin, verse 26. Here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. Your days are numbered. Now, he's still got the, the goblet of wine in his hand. The party was still, you know, the music stopped. Everybody's sitting there like, oh, that's what that meant? Yeah, yeah, this is about to end. Your days are numbered. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You're accountable. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Your influence is temporary. And later on that night, the Persians, when underneath a wall, came into the palace and killed him. He didn't get a year. He didn't get a year. And so, in conclusion, the three things, the mene, the tekel, the prayers, he says, stewardship, we have to realize that what we have been given is a stewardship that all we have, all the talent, all the influence we have are on loan, that they've been given and they can be taken away, and that they're really temporary, that the things we have really are seasonal, they can come and they can go. And that in reality, we are accountable. That one day we will have a given account for all that we have. And if you remember one thing that was repeated over and over and over again in the text, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, that's the text. Now, I want to plead with you from the bottom of my heart. God has a finger and he's been writing on the wall of some of your lives. God has a dream that he has given. God has a word that he has given to you. And some of you have not responded to his word. And some of you have not responded to people. But God's hand is writing right now, trying to get your attention, trying to get you to repent, trying to get you to respond. And some of us are not responding. Some of us are staying in the same ways that we've been in. And I'm warned you today, you will feel the wrath of God. He chastens whom he loves. Just like my mother helped my sister to see reality, God will help you see reality. And his finger is writing right now. His finger is writing on the wall of your life right now. God will not let you be ignorant of the things that you are doing. He will. He will. And he does make very clear who he is in our lives. God, if he has revealed himself to you, will not leave himself as a mystery. He will continue to reveal himself. And he wants to grow you and change you and build you up. And yes, in this text, this text is about influence. And it's about stewarding influence. But the greater we become, the more influence we have. It is amazing as we grow in influence how easy it is to become, to become deaf to other people. To become so strong. You have a stewardship. 
and you, you're, you're, all that you have is temporary and you are accountable and that finger just writes on the wall. You know what sets things in motion. I love how it says, you know, earlier, talked about how praise. We praised God. That things came right back in motion once he praised the God, the Most High God. I'm not really just talking about music. I'm just saying that when we put God in his proper place and we realize that we're taken from the dust and that we're flawed people and that we're really smaller than what we project. Well, then it's easy to live a life of accountability. We keep our ears open to what God may be saying. And we want to hear what God is saying through other people. And we said last week, pride is ruining some of our relationships. So many of us are single in this room. Don't wait to get married to find out about yourself you will find out about yourself when you get yoked up with someone else. But why not listen now? Why not pay attention now to the things that God is saying? And for all of you that long to be great, long to have influence, let this text be a warning to you. Never live with blind pride. Keep our ears open to the things that God may be saying. And the way we always stay in a posture of humility is by continuing a life of praise. That's why the Lord's Prayer starts off with the saying, Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We begin by praising our God, exalting him to his proper place. <clears throat> so easy to forget. So easy to forget. Say, James, why are you going in? Why are you yelling so hard? Because I'm the one that deals with the divorces. I'm the one that has to bring reconciliation to roommates. I'm the one that has to go there and say to them, you guys got to start listening to each other. And the person has become so proud in their positions. It is amazing how we become deaf. We become deaf over time. You're young. Listen now. Listen now. Listen. Look at the finger that's been writing, the clear finger on the wall of your life that people have been saying, that your parents said, that you said, oh, that's just my parents, that your friends said, and you said, oh, that's just my friends, and now your wife says, and you say, that's just my wife. God has been saying it. He's been saying it. And the handwriting is on the wall, calling you to attention, to respond. Pride will destroy your life. It will destroy your life and it'll destroy the life of others. Better to live a life of humility than to be humiliated. This last song we are about to sing, it says, I will exalt you. And then it says it again, I will exalt you. And then it says, I will exalt you. And it says it three times. And then at the very end, it says, you are my God. And if you think higher of yourself than you ought to think, what happens is when you put God in his proper place, like Isaiah 6, if you've ever read the chapter in Isaiah of Isaiah 6, when you put God in his proper place, you see him as holy and you see the flaws in yourself. 
And so when we praise our God, and we just remind, we're reminding ourselves God is already exalted. We are reminding ourselves of God's proper position. Would you pray with me? God, let this text serve as a warning. Let it serve as a warning. How easily we can slip into pride and forget how we got to where we are now. And some of us are being humiliated right now. Some of us wish we were further along in our careers or we wish other areas of our life were working out and God is preventing things from happening, opportunity even from happening, so that we might become aware of him. And this may not be the prescription for everyone in this room, but God continually gives grace to the humble and he always will oppose the proud. And the scripture says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, as we sing this song, let it be a personal statement that I will exalt God. I will allow him to be who he is and you will be my God and I will not let anything else have influence over my life except you and I will be sensitive to any kind of rebuke. I'll be sensitive to the thoughts of others because I know that I am not all that. I want to live with sober judgment. And so, Holy Spirit, reveal to us who we are. Humble ourselves. Help us to humble ourselves. And I pray that none of us will have to live. Some of us could live a whole life of humiliation. One season after another of being humiliated. Allow us to humble ourselves, God. Let us exalt you.